It is my distinct pleasure to be joined by Peter Greenberg, the travel editor for CBS News, a guy whose travel segments I've enjoyed for years, Eye on Travel. And we'll talk about travel this morning with Peter. Peter, thank you very much for joining me for today. It always intrigues me when I hear your travel reports. I like to travel. I've been to 24 countries. I've been all over the USA, but I don't make a living out of it. You do. How did you evolve from being a traveler to a travel editor? Well, of course, it starts with journalism. I was a correspondent for Newsweek for many, many years out in Los Angeles. Everything west of the Mississippi River was mine. I was always the first guy on a plane. I was, had suitcases in the trunk of my car because I was always the first at the scene of something or at least trying to get there. And it dawned on me very early in my career that nobody was covering travel or transportation as news. And in fact, as we now have discovered, it's the largest industry in the world. So what I did, as any good journalist did or could, is I immersed myself in the actual process of travel. I got thoroughly trained in the cockpit, in the cabin. I got thoroughly trained on ships. I got thoroughly trained in every aspect of the travel industry. So at least I understood the jobs that I was going to be reporting on. And then I started writing about it. And that's what led me to talk to you today. Peter, are you saying you can fly a plane? I am not a licensed pilot, but I do train in the simulators on a regular basis. Um, I, I still carry some cockpit authority, which allows you to fly up there when I, when I get the proper approvals. The point is this. If you can't understand or appreciate the process, you'll never be able to explain or value the product. And that's what I think I have to do for my audience. I'm so jealous. Ripped out of today's headlines, we've got to talk about the Maui wildfires. Two-part question. One has to do with the beauty of Western Maui, but more importantly, how can people help the disaster that's taken place over there? Well, it's sort of a double-edged sword. Of course, the GDP and the entire economy of Hawaii is based on travel and tourism. It's a job creator, an economic driver. But at this point, we're dealing with recovery in Western Maui. And uh, that's restricted to only essential travel. But those people who had travel plans to go to Hawaii or the other islands should call ahead and find out if those places are operating and how they can help. The last place you can, can go or should go is Lahaina, but other places in Maui are open. Same thing for the neighbor islands. But most importantly right now for the recovery efforts, it's important for people to try to donate to help. And there are a number of places you can do that too. I'm sure you've, you've done this on your website, but I'll do it again. It's... Uh, Help, helpsavemaui.org, uh, there's the Lanai Community Foundation.org, and of course, the American Red Cross. And if you're going to donate to them, make sure you put in the memo part of your check dedicated to Maui relief. Speaking of recovery, what was the effect of COVID on the travel industry, and has the travel industry fully rebounded? Well, it's rebounded. The question is how, because it rebounded with leisure travel leading the way, not business travel. You may have noticed that every plane is full. That's not business travelers. That's leisure travelers. Uh, we've changed our lifestyle because we've gone from that annual two-week vacation to where are you going next week, not where are you going next year. We've gone from working from an office to working from home to working from anywhere. And so we're, we, we realized during the COVID situation something else. It was a behavioral change in travelers. Uh, you know, we, we had, well, we got up close and personal with our own mortality. You know, either we got COVID and survived, luckily, or we had friends and family who didn't or didn't survive. And so we changed our approach to what we wanted to do for the rest of our lives. Uh, we are no longer, you know, based on material goods. So we said, you know what, we're not going to buy a new car, new jewelry, new clothes, new electronic items. We want to buy experiences because we have no idea how long we're going to be around. And we came raging back for travel. And that explains why everybody's on planes these days.
Peter Greenberg, who is like a where's Waldo every week. It's like, all right, where is he now? I mean, this past month, Belize and Oakland and Las Vegas, places like that. And also out of today's headlines, the Women's World Cup hosted by New Zealand and by Australia. In New Zealand, you repelled into a sinkhole. How did that happen? Well, there's a series that I've done for over 24 years now on public television, and it also airs on Amazon Prime and Apple TV+. Plus. It's called The Royal Tour. It has nothing to do with monarchy, but what it does have to do with is I go to individual sitting heads of state, kings, presidents, and prime ministers, and I get from them what some would call the impossible. They give me eight days of their schedule devoted only to me, and then for the next eight days, they're my tour guide to and through their country. We're seeing it through their eyes. We've done it with everybody from the King of Jordan. You mentioned the Prime Minister of New Zealand. That's where we did the sinkhole. Uh, we've done it with the President of Mexico. We've done it with the, 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 the Prime Minister of Poland. We've done it with uh, the President of Rwanda, uh, the Prime Minister of Jamaica. The one that's on the air right now is the, is the President of Tanzania. A fascinating story about the first woman of color and a Muslim to run a country. And she was my tour guide to Tanzania for about 12 days. That's tremendous. You've been all over the planet. Is there a place you've been that you never want to go back to? The answer is no, but I'll give you a qualifier. Everybody wants to know, you know, where, you know, what's on my do not travel list. And, and it, my metric is this. I will go anywhere in the world as long as I know who's in control. So let me define that. Would I go to Iran tomorrow? Yes, I know who's in control. Would I go to North Korea tomorrow? Yes, I've been there. I know who's in control. Would I go to parts of Chechnya tomorrow or Syria uh, or parts of the Ukraine tomorrow? No, I wouldn't because I don't know who's in control. But that do not control list is really quite small. I think a lot of people, when they think of where you go, you think of plane flights. But how about driving? Give me an idea of some of the best driving trips that you've taken, both domestically and maybe overseas. Well, I'll qualify the overseas one in a second. But for domestic you know, we did a series for years on television called One Tank Trips, places where you could go on one tank of gas and get back. And most people are not really good about figuring out what's within a 200-mile radius of, of where they live that they have no clue about. And the one thing that was great about, about COVID, if there was one thing great about it, it allowed us to rediscover our own neighborhoods, our own communities, and that 200-mile radius. So wherever you happen to be, you know, buy yourself an atlas, do yourself a favor, and then realize that the, the places that really built this country were, are within 200 miles of where you live, and they're not the primary cities, they're the secondary and tertiary cities and communities that really have stories to tell. Well, speaking to your point, I've driven across the country four times, and it's fabulous to be able to see this country from ground level. But last summer, I did upstate New York and the Finger Lakes. And I've been around upstate New York, but not in that region. It was breathtaking, Ithaca, Watkins Glen, Ledgeworth State Park, that was really tremendous. It was, and it still is. I mean, seriously, yeah, and you don't have to do the interstates, and you don't have to do the freeways. Go back to a book called The Blue Highways. It was written by William Lee Teat Moon, and Blue Highways refers to what was then on the Rand McNally Atlas of all the two-lane county roads. That's how he crossed the country. What a, be what a great deal. Let's talk about travelers' rights. One example of many is that I nearly went to Alaska this year, but because of COVID, I kind of chickened out. But two friends of mine did go, and they were up there, and it turned out they were there and trying to get home right in the middle of that big Newark Airport and United Airport debacle. 
They ended up staying in Anchorage two more days. They couldn't get a flight home. They eventually rebooked on another airline, and it cost them $5,000 extra. They wrote a complaint letter to United, and United gave them $100, which, of course, they refused, and now they're taking further action. But I've heard a lot about travelers' rights. What kind of rights do people have in situations like that? Well, believe it or not, in the year 2023, very few, because there's nothing codified yet with the U.S. Department of Transportation. Folks traveling in Europe have a better deal than we do. It's called the European Community Rule 261, which would have covered you. Now, there are rules that are being proposed by the U.S. Department of Transportation. They're, on the, they're, they're being proposed right now. There will be hearings. Hopefully we'll see them by the end of this year or early next. And that will delineate what the obligations really are. The responsibilities will be for airlines and travel providers when things go wrong. When you've got the airline chaos we had a month ago with stories like that, was it worse in Europe or was it better in Europe? Well, it was better in Europe in terms of passenger rights, but not necessarily in terms of airports. The chaos that we've seen in these airports in the United States has been duplicated by many airports overseas. Gatwick, London, Amsterdam, and we can continue. Uh, It's not a lot of fun. Uh, Here's the real problem. The people who are running airlines are not being checked. It's sort of like the wild, wild west without a sheriff. I'll give you an example. There's not a runway in the world, whether you're in Hartford or Houston or Honolulu, that can take more than 23 takeoffs in an hour. Okay? So why are the airlines allowed to book 40 of them? You're already going to be delayed going in. Why are the airlines allowed to schedule connecting flights of only 33 minutes? That's not just ludicrous. That's impossible. And so... We don't need necessarily re-regulation, but we do need a series of rules that rely on common sense. Meanwhile, there's been longer delays now when people want to get their passport renewed. Any tips on how to expedite that process? Well, it starts legislatively, of course, but Congress has been sort of impotent in this regard because of, of the strong airline lobby. But you know what? It's really going to be down to the U.S. Department of Transportation. They can make rules that can make a difference. You may remember the tarmac delay. Instituted about 10 years ago that said if you push back from the gate and you keep your pass for any more than three hours without returning to the gate, you're liable to a fine of up to $27,500 per passenger, not per incident. So in a loaded 737, you're already into seven figures. That got the airline's attention, uh, and we haven't had many of those tarmac delays. The same thing has to be applied in terms of responsibility, in terms of scheduling, in terms of, of you cannot publish a schedule that you know you can't operate when you publish the schedule. That's fraud. Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News, with us this morning. Are the airline bag police getting more aggressive now? They are because it's all about revenue and it's all about physics. You know, I I came across a secret memo that I found sent to gate agents by one airline that listed every airplane type they fly, the number of passengers they can take on any plane or, or on any particular plane, and the number of bags they can put in overhead compartments. And what a surprise. Without any exception, the number of bags that could handle in the overhead compartments was less than half the number of passengers. Why is that? It's not that we're bringing bigger bags on board. It's because the airlines have added more seats. And so it's all about revenue again. The airlines make more money from ancillary revenue, meaning bag bag checks and other things that you're going to pay for, than they actually make from net profits on the tickets. The number of unruly passengers on airplanes is going up, and you have a solution, and I say thumbs up. Tell us your great solution. I do have a solution. Let's institute the NFL fourth quarter alcohol rule. And what that is, 
you, you peg it to the boarding pass time that's on your boarding pass. And what it says is at that point, no airport retail establishment can serve you alcohol within 45 minutes of the boarding time listed on your ticket. Because the real problem with so many of these unruly, disruptive, or downright violent passengers is that they're already drunk when they get on the plane. Not that the flight attendants are serving them more. No, it's they're already drunk. So you can't put breathalyzers at the jetways. That's not going to work. But you can cut the problem a lot. You can mitigate it with that rule. And, you know, now the airport restaurants may not like it, but guess what? The same thing happened at the NFL. And guess what? They're playing football now with fewer flights in the stands. I've traveled all over Europe and Africa, but my bucket list includes Iceland. What do I need to know about going to Iceland? Well, number one, you're not alone. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that. Uh, and and Iceland is getting overcrowded because everybody wants to go there. If you really want to have some fun right now, uh, be a contrarian. Go to Greenland or the Faroe Islands, and you can stop on Iceland on the way. Uh, that as a, is, is, a, is a much better alternative right now, especially in the summer months, simply because it's so crowded. So we've talked driving. We've talked flying. Let's talk cruising. What do you think is the best cruise, both location and also provider? Well, let's go back to the days of the love boat, where there are only maybe eight destinations that they went to, and it was always, you know, Nassau and the Bahamas, and you got in there at 8 o'clock in the morning and left at 4 in the afternoon, and maybe you found love on the ship. Well, forgetting those stereotypes, do you know how many ports of call cruise ships are calling on today? It's over 1,600. That's amazing. So you can actually pick, based on the size of the ship, and the size of the port, what kind of experience you want, and where you want to go. That amount of choice has never been better than it is now, number one. Number two, we're seeing huge growth in what we call expedition cruises. That's the fun part. We're talking the Galapagos. We're talking the Antarctic. Then we're going to the Kimberleys in Western Australia and other places down in, in the, like in Guadalcanal and, 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 uh, and the Solomon Islands. I mean, there are so many different places you can go to now because these are the ships that are purpose-built either because of weather or because of terrain, meaning the, the actual area that they're in, to be able to get into these ports in a way that they're not going to impact them in a negative way and still have you have a great experience. Peter, I broadcast UConn men's basketball. They won the national championship this year. And we go to Milwaukee every year now because Milwaukee's in the league. But I hear that you recommend a four-hour layover in Milwaukee once a year. I haven't done that. Why should I? I do it. I do it because... There's a bookstore at the Milwaukee airport. You know, we, I, I discovered it. It's called Renaissance Books. It's an independent small bookstore. But in that bookstore, they've got rare books. They've got every copy of Life magazine. They've got books you couldn't find anywhere else. And so I will do a layover for four hours in Milwaukee. By the way, I'm partial to Wisconsin anyway, since I went to school in Madison. But I will make a point of doing that four-hour layover in Milwaukee every chance I can once a year. Why? Because I go shopping at that bookstore. I support an independent bookstore. And guess what? You don't have to pay taxes because they're not a chain. They ship it out of state, and you pay a minimal amount for, like, UPS and get all the books you want. Speaking of UConn, we were in Las Vegas for the regionals, and we stayed at the Resorts World in Las Vegas. But the reason we were at that hotel, which, by the way, you were at back on July 21st doing your show from there. But we originally were booked into the Luxor Hotel, and the team and the traveling party checked in. And a couple hours later, they checked out because many of the rooms, not my, but many of the rooms had everything from urine to vomit to flooding on it. Apparently, there was a party there and they did not clean up the rooms before they assigned them to us. 
which is incredible. And of course, right off the bat, we pulled the plug and went to the hotel you were at, Resorts World in Las Vegas. But again, travelers' rights are involved. Are there things that people can do when it comes to bad hotels? Lots of things. First of all, how do you make your reservation? Most people make them online. You know what? That's a big problem because you haven't had a conversation and you're only booking based on rate. You're not booking based on value or experience. You can research online, but I'm a big fan of getting on the phone and having a conversation. It could be with a travel agent or the hotel directly, not their reservations guys, not their clearinghouse, but actually, you know, a front desk manager or the manager on duty because they can answer the questions that internet will never be able to answer. You know, can my kids stay free? Can they eat free? Will you not charge me $9 for a bottle of water? What about the internet? What about the dreaded resort fee that you're not going to disclose until I find out later? The resort fee is the biggest you know, scam ever. So these are the things you need to do on a conversation that the, that the Internet will never do for you. Yeah, I got bagged on one of those resort fee things at the Excalibur Hotel five years ago in Las Vegas, which was far from a resort hotel in my world. Why were you in Belize for your Eye on Travel segment? I was in Belize because it's another television series that I do for PBS and Amazon called Hidden. And it's a one-hour special. It'll be coming out next year. But we've done it in, in Poland, in Turkey. We've done it in the, uh, in, the, in the Canary Islands. We've done it in Saudi Arabia. The most recent one is on the air now. It's called Hidden Ireland. And the, prem- and the premise of that show is about five different things. Number one, no gift shop. Number two, no tour buses. Number three, no TripAdvisor stickers. Number fours and fives, no brochures and no guidebooks. I'm taking you to the most amazing destinations and experiences within a country that you didn't know about, that nobody knew about, but that are totally accessible to you. I love it. And talk about your next Roundtable 92NY series on how to become a contrarian traveler. Yes, well, you know, I did a book a couple of years ago that the, the publisher didn't even want to publish, and then it went on the New York Times bestseller list. It was called Don't Go There. It was my guide to all the places suck that you want to miss. And so my contrarian guide is, instead of London X, instead of Paris Y, instead of Rome Z, instead of, you know, Australia, you know, W, I'm going to give you alternative plans where you're not going to be standing in the world's longest line, where you're going to have a better experience, better value, and you'll want to come back again. So that starts on August 30th. If you go to roundtable.org, I'll answer everybody's questions. It's a great opportunity for me to support the 92nd Street Y and, of course, say hi to everybody online. And a lot of great information, too, at your website, petergreenberg.com. I really enjoyed our virtual travel trip this morning, Peter. Thank you. Right back at you, and go UConn. <laughs> go Huskies. Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News.